0: Uh, Matthew chapter 7 uh, verse 13 and 14 says this, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it Or few. Let's take a few moments to reflect together on God's Word. It's important to remember when we're reading the Sermon on the Mount that it's a sermon. And you might say, Paul, you have a keen eye for the obvious. I mean, because it is the Sermon on the Mount. Really sharp thinking, Paul. I mean, you spent a whole week thinking about this. And I would say, right, it is uh, a keen eye for the obvious, but the reason I'm saying is because so often when we come to the Sermon on the Mount, we don't treat it as a whole, we treat it as a bunch of parts. And we just know some verses, and there, there's some familiar things like the Lord's Prayer, or maybe even this passage, and it feels a little bit more like a bunch of parts that were pushed together, and they all sort of landed in verses, I mean, in chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew Um, But it's not a series of statements. It's a sermon. And like every sermon, there's a certain flow to the sermon. So that if you just enter into the sermon and pick out a couple of verses like I'm doing today, you don't really understand the flow of how Jesus has got to this particular point. If if we don't step back and appreciate the whole, then we're not going to really appreciate the little piece that we're We're seeing. You might think of it as a a large mural, a large painting along a wall. And it's going to have a lot of characters in it or a lot of scenery. But to appreciate any one part, you've got to step back and see the whole before you come in and just zoom in on one piece of the, the mural. And so when we come to verses 13 and 14. Uh, We might be in danger of misunderstanding what Jesus is saying in these verses if we don't see the whole, if we don't step back, if we don't understand the flow. So I want to begin by stepping back, and that's going to be most of the sermon. And I want us to see this tapestry that Jesus is weaving together. And at the very end of the sermon, we're just going to pull this one thread out. And I think it'll help us see more about what Jesus is talking about if we step back. So... Uh, let's step back and sort of race through the Sermon on the Mount so we land in this particular spot, verses 13 and 14, in the correct way. Uh, Like all good speakers, Jesus starts out to, to grab the attention of his audience. And he starts out by what we call the Beatitudes. It's he rifles off several different statements. Sort of like uh machine gun style. And everybody's like, Wow, 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 all these great statements. And they're all together. You look if you just look back with me in verses uh chapter five, verses three through ten. These are called the beatitudes. The the these are like character descriptions. It's it's a description of the heart set of a believer. And it's not the character qualities of like the elite special force, forces believer. This is the character quality of everyone who's truly a follower of Jesus. And they're easily divided, as we saw uh, several months ago, into two columns. The first four of the eight Beatitudes describe our relationship with god it describes a a vertical relationship and then because of this vertical relationship the last four describe our horizontal relationships what's the what's the character of our relationship with god supposed to be like if we've entered into the kingdom of heaven that's the first four well now that we're in the kingdom of heaven and how do we live with the people that are there then that's that's the next four the next column how do we have a relationship with With each other. And I want to focus in on just this very first one. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Chapter 5, verse 3. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And the reason we've got to focus on this one, it's like a the keystone. You know what a keystone is? It's a, a stone like in an archway. It's the one stone that keeps everything else together. If you don't have this one then, then everything falls apart. It's like the first door. If you, you, You've got to go through this first door, this first beatitude to get to every other, other thing in the Sermon on the Mount. And so blessed are the poor in spirit. And when Jesus said this, he's not referring to financial poverty. He's referring to spiritual poverty. It's a blessing to understand your spiritual poverty because once you understand that, then the kingdom of heaven is going to be yours. In other words, when you come before the God of the Bible, you must first acknowledge that that you're completely bankrupt. And, you know, this bankruptcy isn't, I don't have any money. Bankruptcy is, I don't have any money and I owe people money. So it's worse than I just am at zero. You're at less than Zero you You have a debt and you don't have the capacity to pay it back, so you're declaring before a judge or other people that hey i'm I'm completely bankrupt i i, I there's no way I can possibly repay and and if you and if you can't acknowledge your spiritual bankruptcy if if I can't acknowledge my spiritual bankruptcy, I can never enter into the kingdom of heaven That's the very first step you have to say to God. I'm spiritually broke. In fact, I have debts I can't possibly pay. I, I don't have any assets. I have nothing to offer. And unfortunately, many people operate according to this false narrative. Well, uh, Paul, I'm not perfect. I mean, I do have some, some debts. I've, I've sinned. I've done some things I regret. I wish I could have taken some things back that I said maybe. But you know, if you add it all up, I mean, if you've got the, the positive column and the negative column, I mean, I've got some more positives. And in the end, I've got, I got positives left over, and, and these positives are going to get me into to the kingdom of heaven. That's a false narrative. That's a false belief that many people have. And the Bible gives us a true narrative. Romans 3, Paul says this, There is no one who does good. Comma, just to make sure Paul helps you understand no not one so there's no one who does good and comma well except for me no comma no nobody when when i mean no one that that means n- nobody nobody does good nobody can add up their columns and say i've got some good left over everybody's spiritually bankrupt and every follower of jesus has the exact same starting point and you, you, you can't bypass this first step. You, you first have to say, I'm spiritually bankrupt. I'm, I'm declaring bankruptcy before the Lord. I can't possibly purchase God's favor. I, somebody else has to purchase it for me. So when, Matt, when Jesus says at the very beginning of his Sermon on the Mount, repent for the kingdom of heaven is yours, the word repent, as we know, means turn around. You're going in the wrong direction. You've got to repent. And there's two things you have to repent of. You've got to repent of the way that you've been going. I've got these bad habits. I've got these attractions to the world. I've got this attraction and hunger and passion for sin. I've got to move away from that. And I've got to repent of all the good deeds that I thought were going to get me in heaven. You've got to repent of all your sin. And you've got to repent of all your pride thinking I had a good I had enough good in the column that was going to get me into heaven that's a tough thing to do. so you repent you say I'm spiritually bankrupt there's no way I can get into heaven unless God does something for me that's the first one of the beatitudes then the next three just follow in line with this flow of the sermon uh, I mourn in, in other words, when I see my sin, Instead of loving it, now I weep over my sin. I'm meek. I'm not defensive about my sin. I'm not trying to pretend. I'm hungering and thirsting for righteousness now. Instead of hungering and thirsting out of the things of the world, I've I've got a new taste. I've got a a, a new palate for the things of God, a new thirst, a new hunger. And then the second column, because I'm completely spiritually bankrupt... I know my sinfulness, I know God has saved me by grace alone, then I'm, I'm going to be merciful. If you're in the kingdom of heaven by God's mercy, you must display mercy. You didn't get in on anything that you've done. Now when you're dealing with people who may be less than desirable people to deal with, you know you were less than desirable to deal with. And God showed mercy to you. So you're going to be merciful. You're going to be pure in heart. It means a whole person. I'm, I'm not going to have a double life anymore. I'm not going to be hypocritical. I'm, I'm going to be a peacemaker. I'm going to stand in the gap where there's conflict. I'm going, to, I'm going to go into dark places and try to shine the light. I'm going to attach myself to decay like salt and try to bring healing. And even when I attach myself in those places, if it doesn't go well then I'm willing to be persecuted for righteousness. I will stand in those places, and even if it doesn't go well, I'm going to be willing to be persecuted for righteousness. These are the, this is how God or Jesus starts His first sermon. What a start! Then, following the Beatitudes, Jesus makes this statement in five twenty that's so explosive that if anybody was sort of daydreaming through the Beatitudes, they woke up. They're like, did he really say that? Let's look at that. Chapter 5, verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Anybody just sort of wandering hears this. The scribes and the Pharisees. Righteousness better than the scribes and the Pharisees. They were like the Navy SEALs of righteousness. Righteousness. And he's saying, I've got to be, like, better than the Navy SEALs. I'm not even going to be a Navy SEAL. There's no way I can be better than these guys. These these guys are the, as the Jesus Storybook Bible says, they're the extra super holy people. How am I going to be better than the extra super holy people? It's, a, it's impossible. And je, that's just the reaction Jesus wants. And the answer is, how is it possible? Jesus is not talking about a greater External righteousness. He's talking about a condition of your heart. He's not talking about putting up medals of external righteousness. And, hey, I got all this down. He's talking about a condition of the heart. When, when remember, when Samuel was trying to find a king after Saul, he's looking for somebody who looks good to him, and God comes to Samuel and says, "The Lord does not look at the things man looks at." Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks, what does he say, at the heart. See, God is looking at something else. The Pharisees, the religious world, they're all looking at externals. And Jesus said, you've got to be greater than that. And the greater is, you've got to have a different different kind of greatness. It's one that's going to exist in your heart. And at this point in the Sermon of the Mount, then Jesus informs his listeners that that God's not handing out grades best on, based on some kind of external righteousness. He's He's looking at the heart, and then for the rest, almost the rest of the sermon on the mount, all the way up to where we are in chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, he uncovers the heart. Now, let me see if I can use a an, an illustration that women can appreciate, because a lot of times I just use a sports analogy or something like that, but... I grew up with three older sisters and a mom. And I have a daughter and a wife. So I know what it's like to live with women. I, I love women. Glad they were in my house. Glad. But they have sort of a routine, and it was the same for all the women that I've ever lived with. Their bathroom. Their bathroom was sort of like a chemistry lab. I mean, it had so many products in it and bottles and caps and all kinds of stuff i mean i get a little tray of space and my wife gets you know the double vanity it's all that's how it works so it worked that way with my daughter with my sisters it works that way at my home and so in this chemistry lab you have kind of two sides you have the application side and the removal side right (laughs) you have all these products Trying to apply some makeup to hide things you don't want people to see, right? Isn't that the whole? This is not a newsflash. This is what happens. I don't want people to see this on my nose or my forehead or my ears or whatever it is. And so there's a pro. If there's a wrinkle, there's a product for it. And so you have all this stuff, and you've got to apply that in the morning. Then when you get home, what do you have to do? Get your chemistry set out. And your cotton balls, and you gotta get all this stuff off. I mean, this is lots of reasons to be a guy. This is one big one right here. I just shave and it's over. Some guys don't even shave. It's just over. Uh, so here, see recently, it, not, not when, not when I was with my, my sisters, but more recently, they, they've reduced the, the, uh, the, the, uh, part that it takes to take it off. And they've reduced it down to makeup wipes. You have these? So, Neutrogena, Biore, Aveeno. I know of my makeup wipes. I've seen all the products. I'm like, what is this thing for? And you have all these wipes, and it takes off all the external, you know, uh, hoping it to look good appearance stuff that, that you do every day. And from this point in the sermon to chapter 7, where we are, Jesus, it's like Jesus takes out a great big makeup wipe. And he says, I'm going to wipe away one after another all the fake, external, religious looking stuff that every person male and female, tries to put on, hoping they'll look good enough. I'm going to deconstruct all of it right now. And it's actually a little frightening. Because you're hoping you look good enough, and at the end, you don't look good enough. Because he takes that big wipe, and he wipes away, and he just goes one after another. And he's tr- what he's trying to do is say... I, guys, I'm not concerned about the external looks. I'm concerned about your heart. And so just, you could, we won't read through them all, but you can just notice the, the first couple that he talks about here is anger and lust. It, it's not enough to say, well, look, I've never killed anybody. Well, great. That's, but that's not what I'm looking at. I'm looking at the condition of your heart. It's not enough to say, well, I've never committed adultery, but have you ever lusted after a woman in your heart or a man in your heart? That's the answer. That's what Christ is trying to to get at. And then if you turn to chapter 6, he mentioned these three things, giving to the poor, prayer, and fasting. And if you remember when we talked about it, he wasn't saying people who don't give to the poor and people who do give to the poor, people who don't pray and people who do pray. He was saying, no, there's people who pray, hoping to be seen, And people who pray in a closet. People who give to the poor. Hoping to be seen. And people who give to the poor. Who don't care that anybody notices. See he's trying to deconstruct. All this external makeup. That we all want to put on ourselves. To make us look good. And so you have to see the flow. Of Jesus' sermon. It starts out with the Beatitudes. Where we learn that the. The door into the kingdom of heaven is very low. You can't carry anything in with you. You have to say, I'm completely bankrupt. And then in the rest of it, Jesus unmasks all this hypocrisy. And he wipes away all the fake religious makeup. And he says... Okay, now those are the people who are ready to get into the kingdom of heaven. The people who don't have any more makeup on and the people who aren't bringing anything with them. That's what he's looking for. Now let me just give you two real examples that I think that Jesus had in mind when he was preaching this sermon. I I think he was thinking of these types of people and then you run across them a little later in the book of Matthew in 19 and 20. There might be very familiar people. In 19, you run across a guy who's known as the rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler is someone who on the outside, he looks great. I mean, you are so glad the rich young ruler is in your small group, is in your church. He, he would be somebody that you would think he should be a leader. You should be in a leadership position here because he seems to have it all together from the outside. And not only does he seem to have it all together on the outside, he knows his Bible. You ask guy a Bible question, he's got it down. And from what I can see, it looks like he's keeping it all. I mean, he's certainly keeping it better than me. So the rich young ruler is a guy who looks great on the outside. And he comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to have eternal life? You hear the mistake even in the question. See, I've been doing stuff, and I want to make sure I got it all done. And Jesus is going to say, no, no, no. It's about what I've done, not about what you've done. So the guy's got himself at the center, and even though he can see, even though a rich young ruler can see, he can't see his heart. He does a bad job. He does a very poor job in self-diagnosing the condition of his own heart. And when you read through the account, you get the feeling the rich young ruler thinks he's in pretty good shape. But he doesn't see his, he doesn't see his internal condition. And Jesus exposes it because he has a lot of possessions. And what you find out is that his possessions actually possess him. Not God at the center, but his possessions. And he just can't see it, except for Jesus, like a a great surgeon, sort of takes the scalpel down to that little spot and says, hey, here's the nut of your problem. You've got a lot of external makeup on, and you're fooling everybody else. You're fooling yourself, but you're not fooling me. I know what's at the center of your heart. I don't care what the people in your church see. I know what's at your heart center. Now, you contrast that, the very next chapter, Matthew 20, a blind man who cannot see his external condition. Blind Bartimaeus. Here's a man who doesn't know about external conditions. He can't see himself. He can't see the world. And when he encounters Jesus, what's the very first thing he does? When the rich young ruler encounters Jesus, what is the very first question? What must I do? Blind Bartimaeus, who cannot see his external condition, sees 2020, his internal condition. And he says, Jesus, have mercy. I am spiritually bankrupt. And a man who cannot see himself or the world so clearly sees his heart and says, I I can't, I have nothing to offer. I literally have nothing to offer. And internally, I have nothing to offer. I'm coming to the somebody who can offer me something. Is it possible you could have mercy on me? And so in these two pictures, we see the types of people Jesus is talking about all through the Sermon on the Mount. The person who thinks that they look good, that from maybe my vantage point or your vantage point, it looks like they're doing good. They've got a lot of outside. But Jesus is trying to say, I'm not concerned about that. I'm concerned about the condition of your heart. You can have all the same kind of characteristics, prayer, giving to the poor, fasting, but not a real change in your heart. That's all that flow is going to terminate right here in chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. To whom is Jesus referring? Who is he talking to? Who's going through the narrow gate to life? Who's going through the wide gate to destruction? See, if you don't step back and appreciate the whole picture, if you don't understand the flow, you might make this mistake. You might say, if you just picked off these two verses, you'd say, that's pretty easy, Paul. The wide gate is so wide because it's full of non-religious, worldly people who reject God. And those people are flowing through the gate. And the narrow gate are extra super holy people. They're navy seals of righteousness. They're squeezing through the narrow gate. That's what a lot of people think about that. And that's not at all about what Jesus is saying in this text. What is he saying? Jesus is looking at an audience of people who are his disciples and very conservative religious Jewish people. Those are the two types of people in his audience. He doesn't have anybody who's super worldly. He has a bunch of people who know the Bible, super conservative, and want to know what he has to say, say about it. That's his congregation in his Sermon on the Mount. So those going through the wide gate, and this is what's very disrupting about these two verses. The people going through the wide gate, the people who have chosen the easy way, are people who externally look the most religious. They're not the people you would think that would be going through this wide gate. There are all these people who have all the external things. They've, they've got how many times they came to church. They, they've got how much, how much they tithe. They've got how many days they fasted. They've got how many times I prayed for somebody. They've got all the Bible verses memorized. They've got all that down, and they're going through a wide gate that leads to destruction. The few people. Going through the low, the narrow gate are people like Bartimaeus who know their heart. They're they're spiritually bankrupt. They know they're saved by grace alone. They know they have nothing to offer. The, the, The gate's so narrow because you don't need to go through with anything at all. The only thing that fits through the gate is you. You can't bring your sin hoping you can pay it off. And you can't bring your good deeds hoping that it pays it off. Just you fits through this narrow gate. And it's so narrow and so low, anyone can get through it. But many people can't get that low. And the rich young ruler is a great example. He just couldn't get down that low. He had to bring something with him. This is a perfect sermon for a religiously conservative congregation. That's exactly the person Jesus is targeting. He's not, he wouldn't want you to walk away and say, Boy, boy you see that person walking through? They're on the wide gate. All those people out there. No, he's talking to people like us. That's why it's disrupting. Because you'd look around and say, well, couldn't be that person. Why? Well, they give and they pray and they fast and they've got all the external things, but you don't know they're hard. And you may be fooling me, and you may be fooling everyone else, and you may be fooling you, but Jesus knows. And it's meant to send a cold chill through your bones to say, am I one of those people? I'm sitting here on my way to destruction, Because I've really never given my heart to Christ. I've done all the external things, but I've never really been in a position to say, Jesus, I am completely and utterly bankrupt. I don't have one good thing to give. Can you have mercy? That's the person Jesus stops for. Not the person who says, hey, you know, I... I'm doing the Bible reading plan and pretty good so far in January and I'm starting the tithing thing. And those those things can be good things. I don't want to take those away, but those things don't get you into heaven. Jesus gets you into heaven. And he's going through a narrow, low gate. And only people who are following after him are going to fit through that way. So maybe this sermon is just meant to take out the makeup wipe. And you're a poser. You're a pretender. You're an extra super holy person. And he's just trying to wipe all that off today. And he's trying to say, Paul, don't live that way anymore. So burdensome. Never sure if you got enough to give. Let's wipe all of that external, religious, fake makeup away. And just it's you and me and you cry out for mercy. Let's pray. Lord, I, I would have preferred that this sermon were about the wild, worldly people, and the religiously conservative people. I would have been comfortable there. But you have come in and like a disruptor said, Paul, you need to look at yourself. You need to see the log in your own eye before you try to get the speck out of someone else's. So, I don't, I, Lord, I don't want to fool myself. That he can talk about Jesus and he understands the Bible and he's got a degree on his wall and, and he's in. I don't, I don't want to be on a wide way to destruction, Lord. I don't want any of my friends to fool themselves. So, please, I pray that you would, you would do a, a, a work of the Holy Spirit, a, a work of the heart. That would help someone say, you know, I've never really cried out for mercy. I do want to be saved. That's different than crying out for mercy. Would you speak to those people? Would you help us all to to stoop down and take off all our religious makeup so we can get through the gate that's narrow, but it leads to life. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.